I'm recording this video as a rough draft for a speech that I have to give for class. This is going to be recorded the Thursday before I post this, so it will be posted Tuesday, as I have been promising to try to post videos on Tuesday, and that's only happened once since I started to say that. Uh, but this one will actually be posted Tuesday, thankfully, and hopefully I'll be able to record a video Saturday, Sunday, or Monday uh, on the Homer's Odyssey, which we read. And I won't, I don't have as many thoughts about the Odyssey as I did about the Iliad, and that video on the Odyssey probably won't be quite as long as any of the videos that I did on the Iliad, but that'll be for the next week after that, um, if things go as planned. But I'm recording this on Thursday, and I almost didn't record this because this last week uh, my family and I have been on spring break vacation. Yes, kind of weird that we have spring break vacation so early, but it's halfway through our semester, and so that's why the spring break vacation is when it is. And so I've been gone this week, and because of that wasn't able to do much school. Uh, I could do some school, but not everything on the road and in a condo and whatnot. So, uh, so I really debated being able to do this video or not, but I ended up deciding to do it because I realized that this is actually a very productive method for me to start doing things for speech. And you could say, well, you're doing this speech tomorrow. Why don't you have it all planned out? Well, that's how this goes sometimes. So especially with the way that my life has been over this semester. Uh, this has been the busiest semester for all of high school that I've had uh, and pretty swamped in some ways. But I'm going to be doing this video as a rough draft for the speech that I'm going to be giving tomorrow. And our, so that's where it's kind of at. And I'm recording this, like I said, on Thursday. So um, yeah, so one of the so what I'm doing the speech on tomorrow is it's a five minute speech, and for theology this semester we're reading through the New Testament and also reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. We're reading another book by a different Christian leader, so we're reading two books. We're going to be, except for then that other book got taken off of the, uh, I don't know, the curriculum because of some problems with that person who wrote the book. So now we only have mere Christianity, which is kind of nice uh, because you can go through it really slowly and really think about it and um, have really, we've had pretty fruitful discussions thus far. And, you know, um, C.S. Lewis is the person who everybody likes because everybody of all traditions tries to, uh, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but does leverage Lewis for their own viewpoints, but that's just because of the way that Lewis was and his, well, he was brilliant, and but also he was uh, very generous in what he said and how he thought about things. For I mean, by all accounts, and in the mo for the most part. So yeah. So the prompt is that we're supposed to argue, persuade the audience to take a certain viewpoint, and we're based off of books one through three of mere Christianity. So it's pretty broad. Um, I thought that I would narrow my point of my speech down a little bit further and be talking about, so this is from book three, chapter four. Lewis is talking about psychoanalysis in comparison with Christian morality. So if you're watching the video, you can see that I have an image, if you're familiar, of Carl Jung and then Lewis. Uh, I debated having Carl Jung and Freud because he mentioned Freud more than he mentioned Jung, but oh well, too bad. 
Freud, you don't get to be up there. I probably would have picked the famous image where Freud's smoking the cigar, but Freud doesn't get to be up there in this video. Maybe he'll make it onto another video. We'll see. So, uh, yeah, so, so my speech tomorrow is going to be about the intersection of psychoanalysis and morality. So what Lewis argues for in this chapter is that there are two uh, ways in which morality comes about. It comes about through the actual act of choosing something that is moral, and it also comes about through the second way, which is the various feelings and impulses and matter that, and matter in like a physical or psychological and I'm psychological and I'm meaning that in material psychology, material way that these things come about. So of number two, that you either have normal impulses and feelings or you have unnatural ones. So for example, if you have, uh, he gives the example, if you have an irrational fear of cats, well, that'd be an unnatural impulse. But if you have a fear of war or fear of death, then that'd be a pretty natural impulse. And what he's arguing for is that psychoanalysis betters your impulses. So for example, if somebody is afraid of war, but they overcome that fear and have courage and fight in the war, then that would be natural. Then they'd be acting in sphere number one, because what they're doing is that moral thing. They have that regular fear of death and of war, but they're still acting in a moral way. Now, if you have a overly um, ambitious fear of war, then that'd be no, that'd be your a natural impulse, because maybe you're you're not even afraid of dying. You're afraid of uh, who knows what, living off of um, not having candy or something like that, then you would have that irrational fear, that irrational impulse, that irrational feeling, that unnatural one, and then you'd have a problem. And so what Lewis then argues for is that you, some people are more moral than you think, because they were given bad cards, as we would say. They were given the wrong, or let's say worse, bad, again, they were given bad initial impulses or unnatural impulses, unnatural feelings towards things. So for example, if someone is doing something good based on their station in life, that thing could be better or worse. He says that, you know, someone who has really bad circumstances, perhaps even doing the tiniest little kindness could be more moral than someone else laying down their life for someone else. And that's interesting because then what he's basically arguing for is God can only judge because God's the only one who can see what men are like. And God is taking realm number one and realm number two. So you have realm number one, which is that moral choice. And you have realm number two, which let's say is the psychological uh, substance that you have. And God is seeing, well, apart from number two, which is what we factor into our morality, God sees only number one. He only sees that first aspect. And so Lewis says that, you know, when we're stripped down to only our souls at the end of time, there'll be a lot of surprises because someone who we thought was really good perhaps isn't as moral as we thought because they were just dealt really good cards. And someone who we thought was really bad perhaps wasn't as bad as we thought that they were because they were just dealt really bad cards. And so it's not really up to us to judge. But there's also another aspect of this, which is that we 
can bring about heaven or hell in our own circumstances because we can make moral choices that then affect the psychological circumstances. That's the phrase that I'm going to be using, psychological circumstances that we're surrounded by. So I can decide, for example, to become an alcoholic or to drink, you know, uh, alcohol on a daily basis, which is basically being an alcoholic, because if you have to do something every single day, you're basically addicted to it. And so if I decide to do that, then I can bring the world around me into hell, let's say, metaphorically, because I can bring everything else around me down, and then I can bring down those psychological circumstances in myself and in everyone else around me as well. But I could also make moral choices, which are good, and then heighten the... um, or give better cards, let's say, to the people around me and to myself to make better moral choices. And so we can literally bring, in some sense, a heaven or hell on earth to us through what we choose, and we can affect those psychological choices. Now, what psychoanalysis and psychology, at least as Lewis is understanding it in this short chapter, is doing is it's supposed to be erasing that number two barricade to people's um, morality. So when you go to therapy, for example, because you have some uh, problems, say you have a bipolar disorder, and so at some points you'll be very, uh, you'll act very negatively to people, and then your psychology and your therapy sessions heal to some extent that bipolar disorder. What you're actually experiencing is you're not experiencing a change in morality, because you haven't experienced really a change in your will, but you've experienced a change in your internal circumstances so that now your material will perhaps can, you know, produce something which is in man's eyes better and which produces better. So we, we see things, we see things differently than God does. And so that's part of the reason Lewis says why we can't judge as God does. And so I was led to this passage in uh, James, 4, 11 through 12, which says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Because we don't see, really, that number two. We don't see those circumstances that people are surrounded with. So, for example, if someone treats you really badly for whatever reason. Maybe it's not an actual reason that they treat you really badly. Maybe they have something else that happened to them a long time ago. Or maybe their, you know, their their own family has the same thing. You know, we usually pass on our flaws to our children more than anything else. People like to think that what you pass on to your children is the good things that you do, but that's rarely the case because there are a lot more bad things that we do than good things that we do. And well, I'm not trying to set myself up as the judge, but it seems like anyone who thinks otherwise probably doesn't have the circumspection that we probably ought to possess in our lives and probably is healthy to possess. So, and maybe that's me trying to judge somewhat or some other situation where I'm saying, well, you don't have the circumspection and I just don't know the circumstances, the number two qualities around someone. So this is really interesting. And so what I'm trying to, well, I'll be trying to argue for in my speech, basically, is that we ought not to judge. And why ought we not to judge is because we actually don't see everything that everyone is surrounded with. And more than that, we ought not to judge 
the world as it is because we don't see all the things which play into it. And maybe we ought not to judge evil because we don't see all the things that go into it. And we ought not to judge suffering because we don't see all the things that go into it. And maybe that's, you could say, if you're a rational atheist type, well, that's just a cheap way out of the problem because you're just saying, well, you don't really see the end of it. Well, but can't you see that the end of it, that the suffering which is imminent in the world, nothing could justify it. But who are you to judge? Who are we to judge as men? What only God can see, because we don't see the whole picture, and we don't see all of it. And we're all human, and we like to jump to conclusions, and we like to jump based on our feelings and our impulses and on what we think that we instinctually know, but we don't really know that much. And so maybe the best posture that we ought to have towards one another is one of caring for one another and loving one another and acting with the best interest towards those around us because it's very difficult in a lot of situations to do that, especially, you know, it's very difficult to do it when you feel that the people around you because we all have people around us constantly who get on our nerves for one reason or another. But in a lot of ways, we don't know what they're going through, even if they're very close to us. So for example, you know, it's, it's hard for me to think about sometimes, but like even someone like my own mom, my mom has gone through things in her life that is very difficult for me to relate to because I live in a very different world in a lot of ways. Now it's very similar but it's also distinct, and it's also different. And so, should I judge her actions based on my own circumstances? Now, we can point things out as wrong or right, and we can you know, understand that we must act in certain ways based off of what right or wrong we see. But that doesn't mean that we're, we should attempt to set ourselves up as the ultimate authorities in circumstances, or that we should try to, you know, act as, as though we know how someone else is feeling. And I think that this can be a real temptation, for example, like I was even saying within families, and like for me, it can be a temptation with my parents or my siblings because, oh, these people are very similar to me because I've lived with them my entire life. And it can be a temptation with parents because, oh, these children are mine and I know them very well, but we don't really know each other that well. And we're all so distinct from one another. And we all have circumstances and situations that we can't even articulate in our own language, but that are as Lewis says, subconscious, and as Freud or Jung would say, that are deep inside of our subconscious selves. And we don't really know what, you know, in some sense, we don't really know what to do with that. And so the posture that we ought to act towards one another, as I said before, is with one of love and one of graciousness and one of caring for one another, because we are not the judge. And that brings me to another thing that I've been thinking about a little bit recently, which is kind of tied into this, which is the fact that in the first coming of Jesus Christ, he didn't set the world right. And that's kind of annoying to some of us because, well, why is there still suffering if Jesus did, if God came on earth and died for people's sins so that they may be saved? You know, why doesn't he come again just to make all things right? 
you know, it's very irritating a lot of the time to us because we see these injustices that happen in the world and we think, why do these injustices have to happen? Why do they have to happen to me? Why do they have to happen to other people, other people that I don't even know? Am I such a good person that I can see that these injustices are happening and I want to save other people from them and I want to do these humanitarian efforts and these goodwill acts in order to help people? What Jesus was doing in the first coming is he wasn't solving our problems so much as he was suffering with us through our problems. And it's interesting when Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples basically ask him in Acts 1, and I was reading this just last week, uh, I think it's even, if I remember right, verse 6, and they ask him, you know, so is the kingdom of God coming now? And he says, no, the kingdom of God's not going to come, but he's going to send, Jesus tells them that he's going to send his helper so that the kingdom of God can be in each and every one of the disciples and each and every one of the believers. But it's not imperial, it's not material, it's not something of this world, it's something other. It's a kingdom of not not judging. But in the second coming, what happens is God sets himself up as judge, because that's what he properly is. And he will come back and he will judge. And there will be justice. But in the first coming, it's different. And at times, as Christians, we think, well, because God upholds the justice of the world, we ought to attempt to uphold that justice too, which there's some truth in that, but there's also a lot of falsehood because what Jesus did in the first coming is he didn't necessarily set himself up as judge. He was judging in some ways. And he did tell people if they were right or wrong in some ways, but it wasn't this cosmic judgment. It wasn't this cosmic justice. And so what we're called to do as Christians is to live in that, in the footsteps of what he did, in that, in that gracious, loving, caring posture that he held out to others and live with that. Because Jesus in the second coming comes with a sword, but in the first coming he says, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And he's very, let's say, almost nonviolent in some ways. He's almost a pacifist in some ways, Jesus is. And so that's what we ought to do, I think. And because, you know, it's hard not to judge, especially when we feel that someone is doing something wrong. You know, it's hard not to judge someone like Hitler. I mean, for goodness sakes. But, I mean, it's interesting to consider Hitler for all the reasons that perhaps he did what he did. And I'm not saying that Hitler was a good person. I don't know if Hitler was a good person. Maybe that's the right thing to say, although that'll probably get this video taken off of YouTube. But, you know, people often don't consider this when they think about, well, why did Hitler hate Jews? And one of the things that Hitler actually experienced in his life is when he was a teenager, he fell uh, very helplessly and mad maddeningly madly in love with a Jewish girl who did not really reciprocate and kind of uh, tricked him. And you could think, well, that's interesting. I'm not saying that that's why he hated Jews on, in, in the grand scheme of things or the only reason why he hated, but you would be kind of foolish, I think, to, it would be kind of foolish to say, well, that didn't factor into it. And you could think, how many people are like Hitler, but just don't have the capacities that Hitler does? How many of us have that revenge? How many of us have that hatred in our hearts and that murderous vengeance? But we just don't act on it, not because we're good, but because we can't. And so that's what Lewis is talking about with judging. When we're stripped 
clean of all our materiality and all we see in each other at the end of time is our souls, there will be many surprises. There will be surprises, like I said, in both ways. Surprises of people who we thought were really good but weren't as good as we thought. People who we thought were really bad but weren't as bad as we really thought. And so that's what my presentation will be about. And it'll be five minutes long instead of 20 minutes long. And obviously I've been talking about other things, but um, yeah, like I said, this video making thing is very helpful in a lot of ways. And this is one of the ways that it's helpful is in uh, thinking through things and just making rough draft thoughts on uh, different, I guess, different things that are going on with my intellectual abstract thoughts. So, uh, so I'm going to go and outline my speech now based off of what I've been able, you know, when you talk out loud, it's different than talking in your head because you're surprised at how little you have to say when you talk out loud to someone. It's, you know, and you're, you, you can notice this in your own life if you want to, um, how much when you're talking to someone in conversation, you just are basically repeating what you're saying, but you're saying it in a different light as people ask different questions. And when I talk out loud, I'm repeating myself but I'm also trying not to repeat myself, so I actually don't have that much to say. So I am almost certain that I will uh, be under that five-minute time limit. I'm almost scared that I won't be close enough to the five minutes, but I'll get there, and I'm going to go outline this speech. And so thanks for watching, and hopefully I will be faithful to the schedule that I've uh well, up until this point, I've kind of pretended to have a schedule, but we're going to make that schedule actualized, hopefully, <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. And with any luck, I'll get to regular video making. And so then when I have a bump week again, um, I'll just have videos in the in the thing and they'll just post themselves and I won't have to worry about making one every week. That's kind of, That was kind of the intention. It's also kind of annoying because then, you know, somebody will email me about something and this is what was happening before when I was pacing my videos and someone would email me about something and it'd be like from the last video, but it'd be like a month ago that I made it and I'd be like, huh, I probably have to go back and watch my own video to be able to respond to them and not say, well, you know, that was posted a long time ago and so here's how my thoughts have developed. Maybe I could do that. I don't know. But um, yeah, look forward to my... Um, at this point, pretend scheduling and hopefully actualize scheduling in the future. And uh, hopefully my mumbling uh, for these 20 minutes has been helpful to someone somewhere. So thanks for watching. I'll see you guys next time.